Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Keeping Up with Mrs. Kelly. In this episode, Mr. Munoz describes his experiences growing up as a Mexican American and finding his way in the world in spite of obstacles and inequalities. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Keeping Up with Mrs. Kelly. I am Mrs. Kelly, and today I am sitting face to face with the wonderful, phenomenal, super feeling super awkward now, Mr. Munoz. Hello, Mr. Munoz. How are you doing, Mrs. Kelly? I'm better now. Today has been quite hectic, so this is the first time I've sat down and just had like a nice mm-hmm. conversation. You need to give yourself those moments. It's been a long week, but it's uh, been very productive, and uh, I've had a lot of fun with the students. Um, yeah, but that's what I appreciate about you. You're always having fun with the students. <laughs> You're listening to crazy music with them outside at 7.30 in the morning. Right. I, I see you out the window when I'm on an angry parent phone call, and you're, like, swinging on the little monkey bars. and <laughs> I'm just like, oh, that looks so nice right now. Yeah. Live vicariously through you. Thank you. Yes, it's really nice being a student assistant here at IES Lana. So I enjoy it a lot. Yeah, we we love having you. And it was a bit random because we weren't expecting to need mm. so many student assistants. And you kind of came in well super late yeah. to the team. You came when we were basically starting our school year. Yeah, a week before. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it was it was such a great gift that you were available and, and willing to start Mm-hmm. And now, instead of just working with one student, you're working with everybody. Uh, thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity. And um, I feel like IES Lana, it's it feels like home. And I feel the support from the staff, faculty, and, um, and the students are fantastic. I've got to uh, connect with students from the fourth grade to ninth grade. I've been invited to speak and work with eighth graders and seventh graders, um, specifically with, uh, Mrs. Z. And, uh, that was a great opportunity to connect with other students. I really like all of our, uh, leadership programs that we have here on campus. Yeah. Just what we're striving for and to build and help students and assist them in developing, uh, to be the best person that they could be. So it's it's a really creative place, and um, I'm really enjoying uh, my time here. Yeah, well, we love having you. And, and the reason that I brought you here today specifically is, is kind of why other people have brought you into their classrooms, because mm-hmm. you have this really great gift of looking at like social justice and understanding mm. you know how how we can accept each other and and not only tolerate differences but really celebrate them and mm. i think this has been a very important part of your your growing up your childhood mm. because you you're an american like me but you're also a mexican american right and with that i think what you've explained to me brought a bit of of conflict because in some ways you were criticized for not being Mexican enough, and then in other ways you were criticized for being not American enough. Right. And how have you how have you worked with that that pull? Mm. Because that must have been quite stressful as a kid, not really knowing your identity, and then having people pick at it. Yeah, I mean, growing up, I always just considered myself Mexican American or Chicano. Um, even though as young adolescent and, and child and teen, I really didn't understand what uh, Chicanismo uh, entailed or what it embodied. 
And that is something that I'm still learning more and more about. However, the Chicano movement was part of the 1960s civil rights movement in the United States. And there's a huge movement in Southern California and Northern California um, and Texas and just the American Southwest in in general. But uh, I consider myself Mexican-American. I didn't grow up speaking Spanish. Um, Spanish wasn't spoken in my household, but it was more of uh, what they say, like a, a Chicano language so it's like it's not really um, formal Spanish or formal English but they kind of just mix the two mm-hmm. so that's kind of how that's how my mom talks that's how my aunt talks my dad and then once you get to like my uncles and then they speak more what they call chuco or pachuco or pachuca that's how they identified um, back in the four or in the 50s is as pachuca pachuco which i always tried to balance in between the two and um trying to be american but also hold on to my mexican identity or the mexican american identity that has kind of been created in you know these little enclaves throughout the united states Mm. and maintained so it it was uh i didn't see there i was surrounded by a lot of uh, mexican americans growing up and also first generation mexican americans so my family they're sixth seventh generation mexican americans so we lost that language to speak spanish around i'd say like the 50s 60s whenever uh, schools in california wanted to assimilate uh spanish-speaking uh, individuals to only speaking english but i remember one of the reasons that i really wanted you here was i think it was during our first interview you were talking a lot about your your heritage and, and growing up and i remember you saying that people would comment that you weren't blank enough you weren't yeah mexican enough right. you weren't american enough and yeah. i just in my heart that really hurt me to mm. know that you had grown up in that way yeah. can you explain like some of these experiences and experiences and how it made you feel right yeah so like growing up we didn't really differentiate each other from uh my family didn't from being i didn't see mexicans as who came from Mexico to uh, Los Angeles, like my friends and um, that I grew up with, I didn't see them as uh, not American. And I saw myself as them. Mm. And we didn't, I never had those conversations until I uh, attend, started attending um, community college at Mount San Antonio College. And um, that's whenever I started to experience a lot of the negative comments students were calling me you know coconut i'm brown in the outside and white in the inside or they start they would say comments like oh um you don't have any culture you don't speak the language um you know you don't know the culture and you know you're they'll call me a white boy with the tan a lot of people and a a lot of it's always like a going joke i'm always uh, the butt of every joke where surrounded by my friends they would always just kind of tease me for not speaking spanish or um you know speaking with uh, a more i guess a white american accent sense so and and it, it was it was hurtful most definitely um, it made me want to learn more about Mexican culture uh, history and um, and just their contributions to society in Mexico and in the United States so even whenever I whenever I transferred to a four-year university when I transferred to uh, University of California at Riverside people would just say say the same running jokes and until this day uh, whenever I go to parties or gatherings or events you know people ask me oh uh, you don't speak Spanish and I'll say 
no, I, I don't speak Spanish. And um, they'll, they'll be like, oh, you're not Mexican. You know, you're a white boy with a tan. Or they'll just say these mm. things or, or like if I'm a disgrace to them. Whereas on the other end, whenever it comes to being American, a lot of uh, white folks that um, I would talk to or befriend, they're always considering Mexican. So I was never American. And um, that's something that I experienced from a young age is not being American and a feeling that I'm not American, that I belong to Mexico and that my roots are in Mexico because of some of the things that people would say or you would hear people saying, oh, go back home. They'd say the the W word. They would call us beaners. People call us beaners and crack jokes and um, say all these, use a lot of derogatory language to put us down and put our culture or our history down and to make us seem like we didn't, we were part of the other. And one example that I got uh, that I could share with you is whenever I was at community college, um, one of my professors for psychology of sexuality had, um, I was taking tests and I was in his class. His name was George. He's this older white male, probably he was in his maybe like seventies or so. And, um, every time I'd go to the front of the class to pick up my test, um, he would always say, Jorge, um, here's your test. And then he'd be like, Jose. And then he'd be like, Jesus. He'd be like, and then he'd start laughing. He'd be like, Jesus. Here's your test, Jesus. And uh, he would just, all these different, you know, Spanish names, he would call me and he would laugh. And all my all my friends in that class that I made, um, they'd look at me like, dude, why is he saying that? And I'd be like, I have no clue. But in my mind, I'm like, I need to pass this class. So yeah. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to shut up and, you know, do my best in the class and get my stuff and not make a fuss. So throughout most of these periods of times, uh, whether I was talking with first generation Mexican Americans or white Americans, I was mostly passive just because I felt like that was at that time, that was the best way for me to uh, deal with the situation. For one, I didn't want conflict. And then the second thing is, is that I just felt like there was no point in trying to convince anyone that I am Mexican enough or that I'm American enough that if they already feel this way and think this way, there's, I'm not going to put my energy in trying to convince them otherwise. So I never really made it uh, a big effort in doing that. I just let it uh, roll off my back and I just ignored it. Do you wish that you had taken that fight with some of them? Not fight physically, mm. but do you wish you had taken it up and said, no, like this is not correct? Yeah, I think, I think as time eventually progressed and um, whenever I graduated from university, I started speaking up a little bit more here and there and just kind of if I was at a event or out with friends, again, this would happen often, very often. And um, they I would just say, you know, not everyone from Mexico speaks Spanish. Let them know, like, you know, people speak Cantonese, speak, people speak Mandarin, mm. people speak Arabic. There's so many different languages exactly. that it's just like the United States. Mm. It's a very diverse place. And if you're specifically saying that I'm not a native Mexican, like most native Mexicans, not all of them speak Spanish either. A lot yeah. of them speak uh, Nahuatl, Zapoteco, Mixteco, uh, many different indigenous groups like Tepehuan, uh, Chichimeca. And I would just kind of go there and create an opportunity, a learning opportunity for them mm. and not make them feel bad about uh, trying to 
put me down or but I want to create an opportunity for a conversation but it takes a lot of energy yeah. and thought and if you're at a party with friends and family you know sometimes I'm just like okay like you know that's mm-hmm. your opinion and that's how you feel and that's all right so I just don't say anything it's tough because you don't want to have to fight that ev- like all the time right I understand that then I mean now you're here you're not you're neither in in Mexico nor the United States mm. First of all, what brought you to Sweden? And then how do you maintain your cultural identity when you're in a completely different... Whenever I was at the University of California, um, UCR, I wanted to study abroad. And that was something that I saw on a flyer on campus that we have these opportunities to study abroad. At that time, uh, I was in a sociology course and we're learning about inequality and Sweden kind of came up on the map as being the most gender uh, neutral country in the world. So I thought, wow, this is, you know, the most one of the most equal countries in the world. And I hadn't taken any gender studies courses. So I thought, why not do that in one of the most gender equal countries in the world? So I applied to the program through the uh, University of California Study Abroad uh, program. And I got in to study at Lund University. And I took uh, women's studies there. And one of my professors was, uh, he uh, researched uh, queer studies in uh, Sweden or in Scandinavia. And uh, so I also got to learn a little bit about his research and the history of women in Scandinavia. It It was a great opportunity. And then, you know, fast forward so many months, I met someone at Lund. We started talking and we just stood in contact for a year and um after a year of talking we're like hey maybe we should date you know (laughs) i really like you you know we we really get along and i'm very interested in you so we started dating and after two years of dating we got engaged and then after we got engaged we started talking about who's going to move where and we just thought that moving to sweden would be a less difficult or less challenging process than her immigrating to the United States with having to get a sponsor and having to fulfill certain criteria. Whereas here, if uh, you had the the space, the living space, and you are with a person, even just in committed relationship, they can uh, get a relationship visa. It's called a Sambo visa. So that's what we applied for. And we waited about a year and so many months. And then I moved here. So it was, it was a great, great process and um, came here for love <laughs> and um, maintaining my culture and my heritage here, not being in Mexico or the United States. It's actually being away from Los Angeles and, and being away from my family. It's actually made me hold on to my culture more and to want to pull in and learn about it more. So now I'm making like homemade tortillas. I'm making my own salsa verde. I'm making all these different dishes. And so it's even more important to me now Mm. than I feel like it was before because it was so readily available in my house and in Los Angeles. Mm. You didn't have to consciously go through those steps whereas here it's not it's not right in front of your face right so you have to make the choice to yeah to do those things oh yeah and now you have a daughter and i yes. think that that's also impacted your focus on on your heritage and your culture right exactly yeah so that was a big thing is i didn't want uh my daughter to grow up and experience the same things that i've experienced just feeling like you don't belong and you're in the middle which without a doubt i mean there's a 
big possibility that she'll feel like that in the future. However, I just want to provide her with the knowledge and the experiences of learning Spanish, actually traveling to Mexico on the regular and going to some of the places where my family is from. So those are things that I am putting in an effort to brush up on so that I could pass down to her um, so that she could really embrace her culture, the Mexican heritage, and also the Chicano heritage, but more specifically, also the Afro-Mexicano heritage, because both of my mom and dad are both Afro-Mexican, which are descendants of enslaved Africans from the transatlantic slave period, and they were enslaved and put to work in the silver mines in Chihuahua and Durango. So um, so that's a, another piece of the puzzle that um, I'm really interested into introducing our daughter to that's so cool yeah and i think that what a gift you've given your daughter to mm. have all of that all of that culture brought into her life from from your side but also from your wife's side and just to have like that fullness and that richness of life because culture is such an important part of identity and it like right. it makes our lives more more meaningful Oh, most definitely. You know, I don't want to stop there. I think it's also important to that. Of course, she's going to have her Swedish cultural heritage, but just to introduce her to black American culture, to introduce her to different parts of Mexican culture, uh, San Huarocho, which is uh, Afro-Mexican music that was created uh, by formerly enslaved Africans or one of my grandfathers is part Tepehuan. So, you know, getting down there and teaching her not just about our culture but also about others cultural heritage and their history i'm super super excited and looking forward to that <laughs> that's really cool yeah. and then my last question for you is about i know that you've had to go through a lot of challenges and obstacles mm. with yeah with defending your your heritage and your cultural identity but also moving to a completely different continent and having a university experience in a different continent. What personality traits have helped you persevere when others may have given up in right. those types of situations? First of all, I'm I'm a first I'm sixth, seventh generation Mexican American or Afro Mexican American. Um, but I'm the first to graduate from high school in my family. So pretty much failed all my classes, I would say from maybe third grade on to the 10th, ninth grade. And I had a 1.0 GPA in my first year in high school. So I just felt this awakening that if I don't do something about this, mm. uh, my mom doesn't have education. Uh, both of my parents have been incarcerated. My grandparents have been incarcerated and my great grandparents have been incarcerated and none of them had graduated high school. So whenever I reflected back on myself in the ninth grade, I just felt like if I don't do this for myself, then nobody's going to do it. And I'm just going to end up like other past uh, relatives and family mm -hmm. members have, which is having a very low education and not having uh, opportunities to live a, a good quality life. So that's whenever I decided to make a change. And then I became like the most improved student in the school from my like 1.0 GPA to a 3.6. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really big job. Yeah. And then um, I joined swimming and then I got into water polo and I got into all these clubs on campus. And then whenever I went to community college, I just continued with my athletics and there was things happening in the household 
you know, not having enough finances to live a healthy life and things like that. Electricity or water would be turned off or just not have enough food. So I just felt like I wanted to give my best forward so that I could succeed and make something of myself and then also give back to the community and contribute. So Mm -hmm. one of the traits that I feel like that helped me was just keeping my eye on this goal to be the best person that I could be mm-hmm. and just not give up and just keep on etching at those goals. So despite maybe waking up or coming home from school and my whole room's on you know, the sidewalk or something like that, yeah. you know, because my mom and her boyfriend would be arguing or whatever and, um, you know, and he'd have a gun and they'd be intoxicated and stuff like that and um and then i have exam tomorrow you know so it's just like but it's just like hanging on and just like all right like i'm gonna do what i have to do or you know moving or growing up in a household with 15 people uh 10 to 15 people my house was raided twice unlawfully they had no search warrant. We're always constantly police. Cops are always called on us for no reason. They try to kick us off the street where we lived on. Uh, neighborhood watch and people in the community want us to leave the city. So there's these small obstacles whenever I was younger. And then as I got older, it just it kind of got more difficult whenever I attended community college. I was receiving some racism from uh, some of my colleagues in water polo. They're saying that I look like a, a black slave and um, or an ugly black slave. And I would just, yeah, there were just uh, all these microaggressions and things. So I just felt like, you know, the best thing I could do is just stay on that track, just not create any commotion and just do what I need to do. Transfer to a four-year university, get a degree and continue my education. And so I just feel like just having those goals and just kind of etching away at mm. that and, and not letting go of it, even if it's spread out for a long time, because it took me five years to get out of community college. Um, I had placed in the lowest English uh, and mathematics courses, which is like basic elementary English and mathematics, which you'd be teaching at like an elementary school. So whenever I started, I was full time for five years, Mm -hmm. but it took me long, a long period of time to get to freshman college composition courses. So whenever I attended University of California at Riverside, I just felt like, okay, this is part of the goal, but I need to get that master's degree, you know? So I I think the trait is just kind of hanging on and giving it your best shot being organized. And as I'm going further on in my life and developing, I'm also realizing that like self-love is really important. Giving yourself maybe like five, 10 minutes out of the week just to think, how am I doing? How was my week? Was it good? And then thinking, okay, maybe I could do this better or maybe I could do this or maybe I need to step back and pause for a second and not do that. I'll just, I won't be too long, but um, whenever I was at community college, I felt, because I myself was eating like one meal a day and I felt like, okay, I was going to food banks and stuff like that. And I felt like, okay, I want to get back to the community too. And I don't want to wait till I graduate university. So I contacted the uh, local mayor and I just said, hey, you know, my name's so-and-so. I'm really interested in getting civically engaged with the community. So he had invited me out and we worked on all these super cool projects. Uh, one called City Links and the Azusa Beautification Project where we planted trees. And then we worked on gang prevention in all the schools. 
uh, in the school district. And then we did all these great uh, community, yeah, these uh, community projects. And then from there, I got an internship with the California State Assemblyman for my district. And then I ended up interning for the California State Senator. And then I worked in the district office. And then fast forward, I ended up going to the state capitol and working on some projects there. So it was, I, I had some really great opportunities and I couldn't have done it though. Even with that grit, I couldn't have done it without people giving me those opportunities and having being surrounded by just amazing people who helped me through my development. So yeah, I think uh, those two things are really important. Yeah, and I think that's great advice for our kids that it takes something within themselves. They have to have that drive and that decisiveness that I'm not going to make excuses about why I can't achieve. I'm just going to keep going, as you said. But also find the people around them that can help support because grit, their own grit alone is not enough. Right. Thanks so much for talking to me today and congrats on being staff hero for the week. I'm (laughs) really excited. I was so happy to see you. The nominations from students, you really deserve it. Kids recognize exactly what I see in you. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you so much, Mrs. Kelly. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And thanks for being with us on the show today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a comment, and share the show. Don't be afraid to get gritty.